Thank you for listening to the Grace Chapel Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Kurt Henry. For more information about our church, visit our website at gracechapel.cc or follow us on social media at Grace Chapel, Ohio. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 will be our beginning text uh, this morning. Now, we've been in a series on the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of our series is to bring you into a very vivid and very wonderful and, and very dynamic relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. And, and so to that end, we have been unpacking who the Holy Spirit is and what his work is in the world, and we've unpacked what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, and now we're moving into his work in the life of the believer But to kind of set up our time, I've been reading to you about great men of the faith, and you know, at some point I'll talk to you about my experiences with the Holy Spirit once I figure out how to say it, (laughs) if I figure out how to say it. Maybe I'll just blab, who knows. Um, But D.L. Moody said this in his book, Secret Power, it'll be on the screen for you to follow along if you desire. I firmly believe that if we had this building filled with men and women expecting the Pentecostal power, we would get it. I believe if this building was filled with men and women hungry for the Spirit of God, we would have this place shaken. And there would be an influence felt not only in this land, but in foreign lands, if the church of God is baptized and quickened. So let it be. Now, last week, in talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, we saw how part of that work is the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He is the one who teaches us and instructs us in the things of God and the Word of God. And this morning, we're going to take a look at something else that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer We're going to look at his work in our life to empower us to be witnesses for Jesus in the world. And so take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. I'm always the last one to get there, give you time. Acts 1, verse 1. It begins... In the first book, that is the Gospel of Luke, that is the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts go together. They were both written by Luke, and so it's kind of a a volume one, volume two thing. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus 
what? Began to do and teach. That is, note, Jesus began it during his earthly ministry, but listen, folks, he continues it through us by his Spirit. Volume one, volume two, important to see. Verse two, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And so Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection with his disciples, proving that he was Jesus and communing with them and teaching them and, and he taught them about the kingdom of God. Now we remember in our studies in Luke and even here in Acts a few times, we remember that the disciples' favorite question, <laughs> that the disciples' favorite topic that they were always asking Jesus about, listen, before the cross, was they were always asking Jesus, when is the kingdom coming, right? And so Jesus would talk to them about the kingdom, but then he would try to shift their focus and prepare them for the cross and prepare them for his death that they didn't quite see in God's revelation. And he was telling them about another helper who would come alongside to help them and the disciples didn't hear it. They didn't get what Jesus was trying to say. And, and even here, after the resurrection and they're back on to their favorite topic. What is, you know, at the forefront of their mind is the, the coming kingdom of God. And so listen, Jesus does talk to them about that. But then he says, you know what? I have something else for you to grab a hold of. And that is in the meantime, until the consummation of the kingdom to come. In the meantime, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you in power because you have a mission to fulfill, to be my witnesses in the world. And so Jesus is going to shift his focus with him, them here in verse eight. But before we go there, let me just say this. This is the perfect balance that we need as a church. 
And that is, one, prophecy is important, right? We spend a lot of times on the end days and the last days, but some people, that's their favorite topic. And they just can't get off trying to figure out when Jesus is going to come. We don't know, okay? Prophecy is good. It is important. We need to know. We, we need to understand our times. But that's not the only thing. In the meantime, we are to know what it is to walk by the Spirit, to walk by his power, and to be witnesses for Jesus until that trumpet blows. That is also what we are to be about. And so we need that balance in our thinking about God's revelation. Too, too often people have their favorite topics to the ignorance of others. And, and so verse 8, Jesus, or oh, verse 7, excuse me, Jesus says, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. That is, you know, don't get diverted off again on your favorite topic. <laughs> come, come back to me. You know, focus in on the subject at hand. I, I have something else to teach you, and the subject at hand is you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so verse 8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Jesus says that the baptism of the Holy Spirit will come upon the disciples and give them the power of God to be his witnesses unto the world. And as we look at the story of the book of Acts, we, we see this unfolding, and of course, to the ends of the, the earth re refers to us as well. It's not done yet, but as we look at the story of the book of Acts, we we see that indeed they, they did uh, take the gospel to Jerusalem. In fact, Acts 5.28 says that they filled Jerusalem with Jesus' teaching. So much so that it created a pushback from the powers that be. And Acts 8.1 tells us that the church was severely persecuted in Jerusalem. And then it goes on to say in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, that then they were scattered throughout all Judea and Samaria. And so we find in Acts 8, uh, verse 4, take a look on the screen, it says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And so they were scattered to Samaria and to 
Judea and the church began to grow. And, and we saw in previous studies that in Acts chapter 8 that Philip, remember, was sent to Samaria. And, and remember, Philip was just an ordinary guy. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was just an ordinary Christian. Philip was sent down to Samaria and he was preaching the word and he was doing signs and wonders in their midst. But then ultimately we saw how Peter was then sent down for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I've kind of wondered why did Peter need to come? Why couldn't Philip just do that? And ultimately, I don't know, but in my study of the word, I think it, Peter needed to see that. Peter was struggling. Remember, he had the dream from Jesus that the Jews and Gentiles are one now in Christ, and he really struggled with that. Peter needed to see the Spirit upon those Gentiles for, for his own heart. So that's what I think is going on there. But then we saw in Acts chapter 9, Paul, or not, excuse me, Peter in Judea, Peter went down to a place called Joppa, and he actually raises a woman from the dead. Her name was Dorcas, which was the name of the nurse that delivered my first son, Keegan. I always remember her. I always pray for her when I talk about Dorcas. I, I was praying for her this week, man. Wonderful woman of God. So Peter raised this woman, Dorcas, and, and the church exploded in Joppa, just exploded. And then ultimately we find ourselves in Acts chapter 13 and verse 2 and 3, take a look on the screen, where they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they were fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. And so for the most part, the rest of the book of Acts is the record of Paul's missionary journeys. As he goes and he takes the gospel to the known world at that time. And, and so when we're thinking about witnessing for Jesus, like these early Christians went out, when we look at what they were doing and how they lived, we're confronted with something that is oftentimes when people think about witnessing for Jesus, what they have in mind is verbalizing their faith. What they have in mind is sharing their testimony of how they came to Christ. What they have in mind is talking about the Lord or talking about the Bible. And listen, it is certainly that. It does involve all of those things. It does involve preaching God's word, preaching the gospel. But it is not only that. That, it is, that is to say, it is not only talking to people about Jesus. 
it is actually living the life of Jesus in their midst. That's what a true witness is, right? That, that, that our testimony is in conformity with our walk, with our life. And, and so when we're talking about being a witness for Christ, we're, we're talking about the totality the totality of our life bearing witness to Jesus. Do we understand this, church? Where did we get the idea that we get to compartmentalize Jesus in our life? It's the totality of our life should be bearing witness of a total change of a different king, of a different life, a different power operative in me. Oftentimes what we say is discredited by what we are and what we do. That is oftentimes Christians believe that theoretically God can do all things, right? But that falls short of the belief that Jesus calls us to in the Gospels. That certainly falls short of the result of the power of God that we see in the early church in the book of Acts. Paul, in fact, in Romans 15, 19, in, con in conclusion of his ministry, says this. Take a look on the screen. By the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the gospel of Christ. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That is, ultimately, it is more than just confession. And we saw in the book of Acts that, listen, it wasn't just the apostles that were participating in the baptism of the Spirit. And listen, that were participating in the power of God in their witness to others. It wasn't just the apostles. And so I believe, as D.L. Moody believed and many other great men of faith before me, much smarter than me, that God's Spirit will move and will do greater things in those who truly believe. And those, listen, who truly seek him, who truly love him. And so this is what I know in my life. I struggle to believe. I struggle to have the kind of faith that I see revealed in God's word. I, I struggle to love God above all things. You know, I, I, I get tired. 
so easy to go into autopilot, so easy to start cruising and doing our own thing. And so excited to see as we go through this to at least challenge ourselves what could happen if we're like, God, we're, we're going all in here. We're, we're believing you to be this God that we see revealed in your word. I mean, this is what you say. This is what you have laid out. And, and to the best of our ability, we're, we're looking to surrender fully. We're looking to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We we are going to pursue you fully. We're not going to compartmentalize you. We want you in the totality of our life to be a witness fully for Jesus. This is what the world is crying out for. They mock the church and they mock Christians because they don't see a totality of witness. And so we fall right into the devil's hand. We can discredit ourselves by, you know, witnessing verbally to a, a coworker at work, you know, where we're, you know, talking with them about the Lord, talking to them about the wonderful things that Jesus has done in my heart and Man, it's just the glorious peace to be at peace with God and the peace that he fills in. Man, you need the peace of Jesus, friend. And, and then when the irritants of customers come up or this problem comes up at work, you're, you're agitated, you're annoyed, you know, and you complain or you go gossip about that person over there or, listen, you blow up and let everybody know what your opinion is. But then at break time, then at lunch time, hey, friend, let me tell you about the glorious peace of Jesus, man. You, you, you need the, the peace of Christ, right? And, and so here's my point. Our, our testimony has to be in agreement with our life. They have to see what we're saying in congruence with what is happening through our behavior and through how we live our life. They, they should be able to look at you, to look at me, and see what it is Jesus is saying. We should be able to connect the dots for them. That's what a real witness is, is it not? That your life is in congruence with what you say? Is anybody uncomfortable yet? It's very important that people see Jesus lived out in you and me. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul spoke that to Timothy. You know, he says, let no one 
you know, despise you for your youth. But set the believers an example in, in speech and in conduct and in love and in faith and in purity. That is your life in agreement with, with what you say. Revelations 3.14 goes on to say that Jesus is the faithful and true witness. That is, Jesus is the perfect one who does this, right? I mean, you see Jesus, you've seen the Father, right? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In fact, in John 14, we've been in that passage a lot. There, Jesus says, listen, I've been with you so long that you're asking who is the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen him. And so Jesus perfectly reveals who God the Father is. You look at Jesus, you have seen the Father. He is the perfect, faithful witness. Now, the name Christian arose in Antioch, and it was an accusation by the world. So the world saw the early church in and their slur was those Christians, which meant they were Christ-like. Their accusation was, they're a bunch of little Christs. And so I just want to say to you, friends, if the world accuses you of being a Christian, that's a good thing. Embrace it, stick out, go upstream. That's a good thing. That's a right thing. In the 80s, uh, there was a movement. I'm dating myself now. Some of you will join me here in a minute. There was a movement. It was a book that was written about imitating Jesus, and I don't remember the name of the book, but I remember the movement. And in this book, this author suggested that before you do anything, before you say anything, when you're thinking about your reaction, whatever it is, that you should ask yourself one question. <laughs> what would Jesus do? And then do that. Anybody remember the WWJD movement? I mean... There were T-shirts, bracelets. It was a whole shindig, right? Totally. Well, listen, I would just add to that. If you want to be really, really frustrated, try to do that in your own ability. I mean, if you want to really feel like a loser and a failure, try to do that. Try to love your enemy. Try to pray for those who despitefully use you. Try, try to bless those who curse you. Never complain. Rejoice always. Try that in your own power. Paul tried to imitate Jesus. He writes about it in Romans 7. Let's turn there and take a look. Romans is just the book over. Romans chapter 7. 
Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 15. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Paul says this, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Anyone identify with that? Sure, sure. Verse 16. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Now, I want us to notice something here, and I don't have time to develop it, but someday when I preach through Romans, I'll develop it more. But let me say this. Paul starts talking about his sin nature and in his flesh in third person, and that's really important. He's talking about it in third person because it no longer defines him. It is no longer a part of his identity because he is a new creation in Christ. He is now no longer a child of wrath. He is a son of God. He is defined by his righteousness in Jesus. He still has this other thing, the sin principle, this flesh thing that is bugging him, but he's no longer a slave to it. It no longer defines him. And that's really important. Do you understand that? Skip down to verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That is, you know what? I hear what Jesus says, and, and my spirit, my, my inner being goes, yes, yes, Jesus. I, I want to do that. I, I, I want to be that person. And yet in that same moment, there's another law that arises and wages war against me. Verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And so Paul says, I'm living in this unredeemed body. And in this unredeemed body, it wages war against my spirit. And this, this body, this, this flesh, it, it wants to usurp authority over my mind, over my life, and, and make it captive to, to its 
appetites that demand to be fulfilled. And yet, at the same time, in my spirit, I want to do the right thing. I, I want to follow Jesus, and, and there's this war between my flesh and my spirit. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 26, 41, take a look on the screen. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so listen, we have all experienced that at one time or another. The desire, see, oftentimes it's not our mind or our heart that is in rebellion against God. I mean, we want to do the right thing. We love God. We want to do it. But our body rebels, our flesh rebels and pushes back in that same moment and wages against that desire to ultimately please God. And so here's my point, because Paul ultimately makes this point in Romans 7. But here's my point. It is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will experience victory over the flesh. You have the victory. It is about living by the Spirit in that victory. And that's why Paul says in Galatians, listen, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The power of sin has been broken. This law of sin has been broken. We have the ability to walk out what Jesus is calling us to, to be a true witness of him in the totality of our life. That is what we are to want. That is what we are to pursue. And he has given us the power of the Holy Spirit in order to do it. There's an old song that kind of strikes the right chord on this whole issue and it's a song called Have Thine Own Way, Lord. And here's just a line from that song um, on the screen. <laughs> I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> I got to stay in my lane. Uh, it says, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Hold o'er my being absolute sway. Fill with thy spirit till all shall see. Christ only, always living in me. Doesn't get much better than that. That is, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I will be true witnesses of him. We cannot do it on our own. It is not about being a good moral person. You will fail. You will be frustrated if that is what you pursue. 
Now, one other aspect about the power of the Holy Spirit empowering us to be witnesses for Jesus is the issue of boldness. Boldness in speech and boldness in action. And so, as we close, I want us to look at one more passage, and that's in Acts chapter 4. Turn to Acts chapter 4 with me. Verse 29, Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their heart, or their threats, excuse me, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, this is the early church. They're gathered after Pentecost. They're, they're preaching the word of God. They're filling Jerusalem, remember, with the word of God, Acts 5, 28. So they filled Jerusalem with Jesus' teaching. This, they're doing this now, and they're starting to be persecuted. But remember, this is after Acts chapter 1. They've already been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I point that out because, again, they're going to get filled again with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to make the point, it's not a one-time thing. There are refills in the Spirit. Verse 29 again. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What Jesus began to do and teach, I am sending the helper for you to continue to do. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. At his church, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be faithful. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be bold. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be a true and faithful witness of Jesus. That is, Jesus wants people to see us, and in seeing us, he wants them to be able to see him. And if, if that doesn't blow you away, I, you know, I, I can, I, I, that's impossible, Lord. I, I need you to fill me with your spirit, Lord. I, I want that. Change me. Help me. Help me to follow you. And listen, you should want that. You should pursue that. You should crucify your flesh and be surrendering yourself continually. Asking to be filled continually so that, listen, you might witness in totality to your wife, 
to your husband, to your kids. Listen, they should be able to say, man, I want to love Jesus like you love Jesus, Dad. I want to love Jesus like you love Jesus, Mom. Not like, I can't wait to get out of church. I can't wait to get out of this house so I can go do my own thing. People at work should say, whether they agree or not, they should be able to come to you. Yeah, I know you love Jesus. Can I ask you about this? Someone does that? Good job. So let's pray. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more sermons like this, visit us online at gracechapel.cc.